Friends, I believe in Jesus. Not just the one claimed by Pontius Pilate to be the king of the Jews, but as the servant who suffered for me. He is the one, the prophet Isaiah foretold, who would come to take away my sin. Not just my sin, but also my shame and my guilt. He was destined to be bruised for my iniquities, and he was pierced for my transgressions. Because of his willingness to take my place on the cross, I now have access to God's complete healing for my life. And not simply a healing that includes the salvation of my soul, but a healing that includes the salvation of my body and my mind as well. Friends, if you have in your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to Mark chapter 15. It's on page 1,586 in the Bible in the pew in front of you. Today we come to the point in Mark's gospel where we see the prophecy of Isaiah that predicted the suffering of the Messiah, the coming of the one who would take away the sins of the world. We see this prophecy take place now in real life. In a moment, we're going to read of Jesus being led away by the Roman soldiers. Here, Pilate has instructed, has commanded that Jesus be beaten, to be scourged, and then nailed to the cross. However, in the middle of this story, we're going to be introduced to an unlikely character named Simon. While it might be easy to read over the short little verse about Simon from Mark's gospel, I think it's my belief that Mark includes him specifically because, friends, for you and I, Simon illustrates very importantly to us the spiritual truth that is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Christ suffered for us so that we can live confidently in him. Christ suffered for us so we can live confidently in him. Now we're going to unpack a little bit more of this after the reading of our story, but would you please stand with me as a way to honor God's word? And follow along as I read from Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 16. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, the King of the Jews! Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Verse 21. 
A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. When they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days... Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Again, friends, I believe from this story and specifically the example of Simon, we can see that Christ suffered so we can live confidently in him. Christ suffered for you on your behalf so that you can have confidence in him. Now, there are a couple of details that I want to draw our attention to. The first is this idea of blasphemy. You see, earlier in Mark's gospel, several chapters ago, we, we read this story of Jesus healing someone, and the Pharisees accused Jesus of being able to do this divine miracle, not because of the power of God within him, but they said that he was possessed by a demon. They were saying it's because of the name of Satan that he's able to drive out demons. And and that's the first time in Mark's gospel that we're introduced to this idea of blasphemy. And there have been a number of people who have... uh, who have asked, what does this mean? What does it mean to blaspheme? And when we read the story, we, we read Jesus saying that, that many blasphemies of men can be forgiven. But there's one blasphemy that can never be forgiven, and that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which causes you and I to stop for a moment and say, what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Let's be honest, that word blasphemy is kind of an old word, right? I don't know about you, I think of the Middle Ages, right? When I hear that word, blasphemy, blasphemy, maybe a bad Monty Python movie or something, I don't know. But, but the idea of blasphemy here, um, I think is something that we've kind of all wrestled with. And let me ask you this question, maybe, maybe you're like me, and you've wondered in your life if you've ever sinned to the point of losing God's grace, God's favor. Have you ever thought that for yourself? That somehow you've done something to commit the unforgivable sin, right? I know as a teenage boy, I was so afraid that I had committed some sin that Jesus would turn his back on me. 
and say, sorry, Steve, my love ran out for you. You crossed the line this time, buddy. And it can get us all twisted up in knots, right? And I think we can become paranoid with it. Well, well, we need to understand what is happening with blasphemy from our text and from our understanding of, of uh, what's happening in our story. First, uh, there's, there's several ways that I believe blasphemy needs to be understood. And, and the first is this. That blasphemy means accusing Jesus of doing a miracle work by the power of Satan. Right? Because in context, that w- that's exactly what we see earlier in Mark's gospel. Not in a story today, but back in Mark. Jesus heals someone and they say it's because he's possessed by a demon that he's at, able to cast out a demon. And so one of the most simple ways of understanding it is seeing a miracle of Jesus and giving Satan credit for it. Or saying that it's because Jesus is possessed by an evil spirit that he's able to drive out demons or able to do miracles. Friends, when was the last time you have physically seen Jesus in the flesh perform a miracle and then condemned him as being possessed for accomplishing a miracle? Yeah, that's supposed to be a farce. You, in this respect, in this understanding of blasphemy, you can never do that because you weren't around when Jesus did that miracle, right? Okay, so let's just say you're you're not in danger there. There's a second way, though, of understanding this type of blasphemy, and this is how I've heard it uh, taught a lot, and that's denying the Holy Spirit's work of conviction in your life, where the Holy Spirit says to you, will you trust in Jesus? Will you trust in Jesus? And by denying that Holy Spirit's conviction, what happens is you begin to harden your heart towards what God wants to do in your life. A person, I believe, can only reject the offer of salvation so much before their heart is hardened enough to the point that they won't make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. They won't come to faith in him. Let me put it another way. You must decide if you're going to believe in Jesus this side of life. There's no dying and having an extra chance. You must say yes to Christ. If you deny that, or if you know someone who denies that, who never says yes to Jesus, and they die in that non-faith confession, there's no chance on the other side for them to make a profession of faith. That can't be forgiven on the other side of this life. Now, the, the whole reason why I bring this up is because I believe this type of blasphemy where you resist the Holy Spirit doing something in your life, and specifically before, I'm talking specifically before salvation, there's a person where, where God is working on their heart through the Holy Spirit to bring them to a point in faith, and they reject, and they resist, and they reject, and they resist. I think of Pharaoh as a perfect example in this, Right? You remember the story of Pharaoh? How many times did God give Pharaoh a chance 
to let his people go and worship him. And yet he hardened his heart to a point, I think, of no return. Friends, we, we, when we think of blasphemy, and, and what I see happening in our story is that, that there can come a point where people harden their hearts so much to the things of the Holy Spirit that they won't say yes to Jesus. I see that with the Pharisees when they are mocking Jesus. Let this Messiah, let this King of Israel come down off the cross And if he does that, we will see and we will believe. Uh, Friends, honestly, I think if Jesus were to have come down from the cross, they would have come up with an excuse. They already uh, accused him of being possessed by a demon, right? I think they had so hardened their hearts that they weren't going to say yes to him. And here's the, the, the further downside to this. They're the ones, the religious leaders were the ones that were supposed to lead the people of Israel in faithful worship of Jesus. Were they not? Right? And what we see is we see the crowds following their blasphemy, following their example of hurling insults on Jesus, saying he said he could destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, but he can't even save himself. It's interesting to note that Peter himself was called out by Jesus for attempting to deny, for attempting to deter Jesus from accomplishing the task that God had for him, correct? And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan, for you do not have in mind the things of God. Now, friends, I'm not going to tell you that I'm not going to stand up here and give you um, like a meter. I don't have an app that I'm going to encourage you to download where you can go around and check if people have committed the unforgivable sin, okay? Let me check. Uh, Did my wife blast me to the point of losing her salvation? How's our worship pastor doing this week? I, I think even in the story of Jesus telling the religious leaders about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, about crediting Jesus with doing a work of the devil. I think he was saying it not that they had committed it, but that they were in danger of committing it. And I think he I think we have an example here that these people if they continue to harden their hearts to what Jesus Christ was doing for them on their behalf that they were in danger of losing the opportunity to say yes to Jesus because their hearts would become so hardened. Does that make sense? They are, in a, in, a, in a sense, blaspheming what is taking place. We see the literal fulfillment of Isaiah 53, and they can't see it at all today. It's interesting, as I was YouTubing videos, I wanted to find a really cool video um, to get us thinking differently about Jesus and, and what he's done in the Gospel of Mark up to this point. Um, I was looking for um, spoken word on Isaiah 53, and I would have thought that it was such a popular passage, I would have had like hundreds of videos to choose from. Interestingly enough, there's more videos about, is Jesus the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, or is it 
something else. And there's a lot of rabbis today who would say that Isaiah 53 is not about Jesus, but about the nation of Israel. And even to this day, they deny what Jesus had done. And we're going to look at some more implications from that in a minute. But friends, their taunts show that they have more in common with Satan than with God at this point in the story. How sad is that? Okay, another detail that I want us to look at is, did you notice how Mark doesn't give us a lot of details about the crucifixion? He doesn't describe in great detail the scourging, not like Luke's gospel does, right? He doesn't go into detail about what happened to Jesus on the cross. And I believe that this is uh, Mark's way of drawing our attention not to the means of his death, but to why. Why did Jesus die in this? What is it that he does? And the fact that Mark also includes Simon in this story is intentional in us having a greater understanding of what is going on here. Did you know that Simon is the first person mentioned in scripture to literally carry a cross and follow Jesus. Remember, Mark said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to count the cost. You have to carry your cross and follow me. Now, while carrying the cross was literally and forcibly pressed upon Simon by the Roman soldiers, it nevertheless had a significant impact on his life and on the life of his children. Now, we don't have a definitive statement in Scripture. I can't point to a verse and have you flip to it that says, and Simon believed. I can't, I can't do that for you, but I think you can logically argue and infer from this story that this had an impact on Simon and his two children. I think the fact that Mark includes Simon by name is an indication that Simon came to faith in Jesus. Now, whether that's true or not, I do believe we can say confidently from our text that his sons, Alexander and Rufus, came to faith and were probably known by Mark's readers. Because he mentions them. Did you notice? Did you hear that? The father, the, a certain man from Simon, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Why would he write it that way if they didn't know these two kids? Isn't that amazing? Something about this experience that Simon had. And I would say a further investigation to who was this man, Jesus? And why is it that he died the way he died? had a huge impact on Simon and his boys. One commentator says this, and it's pretty interesting. The name Simon is Hebrew. Alexander, I believe, is Latin, and Rufus is Greek, or one of those. In the names of his boys, we see that Jesus includes all people in salvation. 
in this one family, we get this picture that Jesus Christ died, suffered for us so that we may come to faith and salvation in him. But in Simon, we see someone who quite literally carries Jesus' cross. How about you? How about me? As I was thinking about Simon and his life and trying to picture myself, what he went through, I've had to ask the question, Jesus, do I carry my cross? Have I set aside my own ambitions? Have I set aside my plans for my life so that I can pick up yours? So I can live the life that you purchased on the cross for me, on the cross for me to live. Am I willing to set aside my own rights? so that I can follow Jesus Christ more faithfully and, and fully? Do I really understand what Jesus Christ did on my behalf? Because if I do, if I do, then there's so much more in this life that I can bear for Jesus. Now, as we turn and look at some application of this story uh, one of the things that I want you to walk away with, and if you're taking notes, it's f- so important for you to remember this, so write it down. Jesus died to be a ransom for others, not himself. Jesus doesn't save himself, so, excuse me, let me say that again. Jesus doesn't save himself, rather he gives himself up so he can save others. As the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the people are taunting him, come down and save yourself. Come down and save yourself. Come down and save yourself. If you're really who you say you are, this should not be a big deal for you. And yet he stays on the cross because he doesn't die to ransom himself. He dies to ransom you and he dies to ransom me. He dies for others. If Jesus came off that cross, then we could not be saved. Do you get what's happening here in this story? What is taking place? How the religious leaders are trying to get Jesus to not follow the will of God. And yet Jesus stays. He stays on the cross. Becoming the ransom for all mankind, we see the fulfillment of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. By going to the cross in our place, we see three things that Jesus does. In this, let me explain this graphic to you. We see him suffering physically. We see him getting flogged and whipped and beaten. We see him get nailed to the cross. Because he suffers physically, it means he takes away your punishment. 
He takes away your punishment. This means you do not have to fear being punished for your sins. If you have said yes to Jesus, all of that stuff was taken care of by him on the cross. He takes your punishment. So that means when you die and you are face to face with God, you do not have to fear condemnation. You do not have to fear paying for your sins. It's paid in full. You get to enjoy eternal life. Not only did Jesus suffer physically, but he also suffered emotionally. How many times in, in this story did we read that he was mocked? He was ridiculed. They hurled insults on him. Jesus, do you think he had a heartache? Do you think his heart was breaking? I firmly believe that. He suffered emotionally on that cross. And because he suffered emotionally, he takes your heartache. He takes your grief. He's a man acquainted with sorrows. And because he's acquainted with sorrows, he knows what it's like to emotionally suffer. That means he can take your heartache and he can replace it with his love, with his peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus suffered emotionally on the cross for you. This means you don't have to mentally or emotionally be afraid of what's to come. I've met a number of Christians who are so afraid of eternity that I just want to say, do you not understand what Jesus did on the cross for you then? You don't have to fear the future at all. But not only that, Jesus suffered spiritually as well. We don't see it in our story. We're going to see it next week. But on the cross, Jesus is going to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, it's as if God turns his back on Jesus because Jesus has the sin of the world upon his back. And spiritually, he's so separated from his father. He's never felt that type of separation before. And he cries out in deep anguish. He suffered spiritually. He became a curse for you. And because he did that for you, that now means he takes your separation. You can have a right relationship with God because of Jesus. Friends, I believe that's what we're to get out of seeing the suffering of Jesus from Mark's gospel. He's, he takes everything and gives us everything in exchange. He takes all of our bad and gives us all of his good. All of his good. And he does this so we can live confidently in him. Now, friends, here's the danger of being a Christian. <clears throat> the danger of being a Christian is that <clears throat> you still have to go through this life. You, you, you don't get to just, once you become a Christian, teleport up to heaven, okay? 
That's a thing in Star Trek, not in real life. You, you don't just to get taken up out of this life right away. You still have to live in a world that has a whole bunch of sinners. You still have to live in a world that's been affected by sin. You still have to live in this place. But you don't have to fear it anymore because you have something greater to look forward to. You have an eternal home to look forward to because of what Jesus Christ did for you here. And because you have something to look forward to, you can live confidently in your faith. doesn't matter what's in your bank account. It doesn't matter what your doctor's checkup says. It doesn't matter the things that you read on social media, okay? It doesn't matter what happens to you in this life. If you remember that Jesus Christ took it all on the cross for you, that he suffered physically, he suffered emotionally, he suffered spiritually for you, if you remember that, then it'll help you live confidently in this life now. I'm convinced that Simon's experience with Christ's suffering moved him and at least his kids into a faith, into a commitment, into a confession of Jesus Christ. I think as Simon carried the crossbar and didn't hear Jesus whining or complaining or saying to the soldiers, would you just stop it? I'm going there willingly. Would you, you don't have to do all this. He, he didn't hear Jesus say any of that. He see Jesus take it. I think that as Simon saw Jesus suffering, that made a huge impact on his life and on the life of his kids. Have you ever wondered why it is that the New Testament writers were able to go through what they were able to go through? Have you ever wondered that? Why is it that Peter and James and John were able to be beaten? Why is it that Paul was able to be stoned, shipwrecked a number of times? Why is it that these guys were able to experience the pain and suffering that they went through and hold on to their faith, not waver, but live confidently? It's because they understood the suffering that Jesus went through on their behalf. And they were able to live confidently in their faith in Jesus Christ. No matter what trials or tribulations come your way, you have a wonderful Savior. A Savior who is prepared to give you what you need to bear the burdens in this life and not just to bear the burdens, but to walk with you every step of the way through it. You need not fear for your heart. You need not fear for your mind or for your soul. If you have said yes to Jesus, then the price that he paid has been stamped, paid in full in your life. Friends, sometimes it's easy for us to focus more on our fears and our own failures 
I think it's, it's, it's easier for us to focus on all the things we're not doing for Jesus than to simply reflect on what Jesus Christ has already done for us. And so we just need to be reminded of what Jesus did and that he paid it all. Friends, our worship team is going to come back up right now and lead us in some time of of singing. And I I just want to encourage you in a moment, after a couple songs, I'm going to come back up and and I'm going to invite you to come forward today. Some of you here need a physical healing from Jesus. I was shocked this week about just going over all the prayer requests that we've had lately of people who are suffering physically from something. This week, I was going over all the prayer requests of all of our friends and family members who are suffering emotionally lately. And I'm thinking about our world who's suffering spiritually. I'm thinking about our city. This, this week, I thought about the fact that we live in the most unchurched city in the United States. Friends, there's some physical, emotional, and spiritual suffering going on in our family and in our community. And I don't know what it is that you're going through, but we wanted to create some space for you to be able to come forward to receive some prayer. So we're going to sing a couple songs, and then I'm going to come back up. Myself, Walt, and Sherry, we're going to come up, and we're just going to make ourselves available for anybody who'd want to come up and receive prayer. And I want to encourage you, if, if you today, for the first time, maybe heard something about Jesus and the fact that he suffered on the cross for you, and you have never said yes to Jesus Christ, but something in your heart right now is telling you that you need to make that commitment, then I want you to come up and talk to me during that prayer time. And I want to lead you just in a prayer that will strengthen and affirm you. I want to encourage you and know that I'm sending you with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God who will help you in this life live confidently because of what Christ did. Amen? Friends, would you please stand? Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that that you have given us this story of all that you have gone through on our behalf. And Father, you took it all for us. That you suffered so we don't have to. Father, I I just want to say thank you for sending Jesus to do what he did for me. For not just dying on the cross for my sins, but for giving me his life. And because of his sacrifice and his suffering, I can live faithfully. I can have a better relationship with you. 
Father, I ask that you'd help me to get out of the way. I would ask that you would give me the strength to lay aside my own selfish ambitions, my own plans, my own will, and that I would pick up my cross and follow you. Father, I pray that would be true of all of us here. Father, I pray that we would give up those things in our lives that are getting in the way of more faithfully following you. Give up those things that are causing us to have fear instead of confidence in you. Father, whether that be a physical ailment, an emotional heartache, or Father, we're just so confused spiritually that we just lack a confidence in our salvation. I, I pray you'd get rid of all of those things and instead of replace it with a confidence in you. And so God, as we worship now, I pray that our hearts and our thoughts and our mind would be turned towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.